This podcast is generously supported by the Jesus Bible NIV edition. With exclusive articles from Louis Giglio, John Piper, and Randy Alcorn, the Jesus Bible lifts Jesus up as the lead story of the Bible. It is available as a full study Bible, as well as available as individual Bible journals. Find out more at www.thejesusbible.com. Want to learn how to interpret and teach the entire Bible in a way that is Christ-centered and clear? Learn with us here on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast where we have conversation about Christ and all the scriptures for every church. We've been on a, a little bit of a three-week break. Uh, guys have been starting new jobs. Jeff Hay, you know, the in the European way, took a three-week vacation. Oh, much uh, longer. That we, that we, it, may, it was longer than that, but we need to, to import that here to America. But uh, we're back, and we're continuing in the series of Judges. We also want to just make note uh, of a uh, conference that'll be either an, as the day we're recording, it'll be announced that we'll be having a conference in uh, Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis area on uh, November 1st. So Monday, November 1st, uh, the speakers will be our, our own John Aiken, as well as Josh Redberg, uh, one of the uh, founders of Christ Centered and Clear, as well as Danny Aiken, our father, uh, who will talk some about his journey into uh, Christ Centered preaching. Uh, and then uh, so there'll be uh, lots of conversations will probably even be a live podcast that day. And so it's a one-day event. Uh, look for information on that. Cost is 25 bucks, but lunch will be provided. And again, that'll be in the Minneapolis area uh, on November 1st. And so we hope you'll either make plans to join us, um, or I'm not sure if we're going to do a live stream or not. But uh, So let's jump into judges. I have with me today again Jeff Hay and uh, John Aiken. Jeff should be fully refreshed and ready to talk about how uh, wicked the judges are, and then John talk about how how awesome the judges are, and uh, so we're gonna jump into uh, Jephthah, and uh, obviously a, a, no, a well known judge. Uh, but Jeff, why don't you give us the summary? Yeah, I'll give the summary in a succinct way. No problem there. Uh, <laughs> we have uh, Jephthah uh, coming after Abimelech, but we, there was two small judges in between, only a, a line or two: Tola and Jar, who we really uh, didn't deal with but mentioned in the last one but what happened mm. the cycle happens again the people of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord uh, forsook God actually it says they worshipped many gods uh, mm. prostituted themselves to a whole host of gods so this is bad uh, and they're handed over to the Philistines and Ammonites and they cry out to God in, in, in chapter 10 but there's a really sad shocking verse because as they cry out God actually replies and says to them, did I not save you already? And in verse 13, he says, you've forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Mm. In many ways, you could say, I will save you no more. Some of the worst words you could hear in the Bible. Mm. Uh, but after that, it looks like then there's genuine repentance. Because instead of just crying out, it was clear it wasn't genuine repentance. Here now they cry out, but they get rid of all the foreign gods. They put them away and start to serve the Lord, uh, their, the God. And then uh, 
then we get into the story of Jephthah. So it looks like there's genuine repentance and then Jephthah is going to be uh, raised up. Now, Jephthah in chapter 11, we get into it was a Gileadite called a mighty warrior, but his background was very different. Uh, so he was the son of a prostitute. And because of that, he got despised by his brothers, driven out of home, an outcast rejected. I'm sure he was a hurt man, so he fled away. But whilst he was away, he gathered up a, a bunch of, well, whether it's merry men like Robin Hood's uh, bandits, <laughs> whatever it is, he, he gets a team around him. But the, the Ammonites have made war on the Gileadites and they're in a bad way and they're in despair. Uh, so what they do, well, they cry out for help. And actually they cry out for Jephthah to come mm. and help them, the elders of Gilead. By the way, there's some interesting parallels, by the way, the people of Israel in chapter 10 treated God and how the people of Gilead, Gilead treated Jephthah. So the people of Israel had turned and rejected God and the people of Gilead had turned and rejected Jephthah. So there's interesting parallels going on there. And mm. there, there's a little bit of questioning, and I'll just do it quickly, uh, Jephthah, but then eventually he does promise to come and, and help his own people who had rejected him in the past. So he takes charge. And then a big chunk, verses 12 to 28, which you know John might have reasons to go into that more, but we see him seeking a peaceful uh, resolution with the king of the Ammonites and trying to reason with him. And there's a bit of a history lesson going back through Israel's history, accounting uh, what really happened and they didn't uh, do as bad as what they're being accused of. But because they refused to pass through, it says God took possession because uh, Israel weren't allowed to pass through peacefully. There's this history lesson going on. I won't have time to go on that. But ultimately, the king of the Ammonites didn't listen in verse 28. And that means there's going to be war. So what happens? Well, it's clear God's going to be in Israel's side because verse 29 says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. So the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And then we have a battle. And in many ways, they win the battle, verse 33. And not much is said about that because the focus then goes on this vow. Because after the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and it looks like he's going to win the battle, Jephthah then makes a vow to the Lord. If you give me the Ammonites in my hand, then... Whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. And that might need discussion later on. Mm. But he makes this vow. Whatever will come out of the house, he'll offer it up as a burnt offering if they win. Well, they win the battle. And then we come to this unusual scene. Jephthah comes home and we're waiting to hear what's going to come out of the house and lo and behold, his daughter comes out celebrating with tambourines and, and dancing. We've had echoes of that in the past. And she's his only child. And as soon as he sees her, he tears his clothes and he says, look at the trouble has been brought on me, but I can't go back on my vow. Mm. It's devastating, depending on how you interpret this and after figure out what John's going to say here. Uh, but then we continue in Jephthah. They, he made this vow and eventually he fulfills it. Uh, and it says he did all that he instructed with his vow further on down, I think in verse uh, 39, who did according to his vow. And the daughters of Israel went and lamented the daughter who were going, was she 
then offered as a burnt offering? Was she killed? Was she sent into the temple? Uh, I took the interpretation that she was actually killed by Jephthah. Jephthah killed her for various reasons. We could get into that. And so it's a tragic end. And then we went into chapter 12 and we have the people of Ephraim uh, saying, why didn't we get involved again in the fight? And uh, Jephthah says, well, you, you could have done. Uh, and then they, there's a basically a war between the Ephraimites and the Gileadites and the Gileadites uh, win, overtake them and manage to do it through whenever people were captured. They were maybe pretending to be from another part, not the Ephraimites. And there's this little test of can you say shibboleth or sibboleth to figure out who and where you're from and accents like people in Dublin here a lot of them can't pronounce their THs uh, so uh, if you say say 33 and a third they might go 33 and a third and then you would know they're from Dublin well that's a sort of test and then they killed and seized and slaughtered them so 42,000 Ephraimites fell and Jephthah judged Israel for six years. It doesn't talk about rest and it hasn't done and, and won't go forward. So that's a little bit of a summary of mm. hopefully the, the whole narrative. Mm. John, uh, he, he took a lot of shots at you and or at least had questions. We'll see. Uh, so thoughts on summary and, and we can talk about the textual issues in a second, but yeah. Yeah. Just a couple of things I would just, uh, I think it's a great summary and, um, and obviously we'll get into the main problem here and it's, it's a, it's a thorny problem. So we'll, we'll talk about that, but the only things I would just add to, um, and I, I really appreciated Jeff's summary. So the beginning of chapter or the kind of the middle of chapter 10, the um, it's, I think it's significant. He mentions um, seven different gods that they have turned to. So it's a, it's a sevenfold total rejection of the Lord for false gods. And then God's response, and, and, and I agree, you you definitely see a mirroring of Israel's reaction to God and Israel's reaction to Jephthah, uh, or at least, obviously, you know, Gilead's. Uh, um, and so you have uh, the Lord responds to that rejection with a sermon. And in that sermon, he lists seven times that he has rescued his people. And so you have, despite Israel's total rejection of the Lord, he, you see his sevenfold total salvation of Israel. And then, um, and, and then the, it kind of the, the story continues. And so the same thing happens with Jephthah. He's rejected. Then they come to him, you know, in this kind of show. And he's like, well, he responds with a message instead of action. And his message is, well, y'all, y'all treated me like this. And, and so now if you, if I'm going to do this, then y'all need to, y'all need to make me your head. And God's kind of the same message. Like, Hey, you're going to, you're going to change your behavior and then put, you know, put me in charge of, uh, give me your allegiance. And so you do see that, that mirroring. I would, I would maybe, I do think that we do see genuine repentance. I think you see the show of repentance. God indicts them with the message and you see, them putting away the idols and so forth. But again, we've had these discussions before. I don't think it's a lasting repentance. And I'll explain that why I see that, you know, at the end of the, of the uh, story. And then um, 
the only other thing, I don't know if there's anything else I would add in terms of summary. I think that's a good setup for where things are at. And I do think it's important for me, as, I, as we're going to talk about the spiral down in Israel, this idea of the way that they treat the Savior is the way that they treat God. This podcast is generously sponsored by the Pillar Network. The Pillar Network is a community of SBC and International Baptist churches that are doctrinally aligned, missionally driven, and committed to equipping, planting, and revitalizing churches together. If you're a pastor of an established church and you're desiring to lead your congregation to plant churches, but you're not sure how to get started, Pillar could be a great resource for you. Reach out to them today at thepillarnetwork.com. Thepillarnetwork.com. Uh, so, all right, then let's, let's talk textual issues. I mean, Jeff, you brought up verse 31, might need discussion. There's obviously questions about whether his daughter is, is sacrificed, is killed by him. So where do y'all want to start? What are the big textual issues? And then maybe, Jeff, you start, and then, John, you can jump in. Yeah, well, it is tricky because I think, and one of the main reasons is because of Hebrews 11. Probably. Uh, so when you read Hebrews 11, Jephthah is put forward as held up in many ways as a hero of the faith. And so you're going, hold on here. Uh, has he just done child sacrifice? And yet he's included in Hebrews 11 as to be commended. Uh, I, so what is going on here? And so it is a question. Maybe it's and I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure what I would go for, but I probably lean towards Taking it, that might be the, the the most likely reading just when you read it, if you were to read it as you think. He makes a vow, uh, and I think he's trying to bargain with God, which in many ways in my is already wrong, and it's acting like the pagan gods where you would make bargains and, and sacrifices, uh, and some of them even had child sacrifice. So... I think he is seeped in with a culture around him and he's making a foolish, rash vow. The details of the are, are passed over. But the fact that there's a lot of lamenting of what happened shows, in my mind, this is not good. There's a lot of mention further on um, uh, lamenting the, her virginity. So maybe that means that some people think they went and she was just offered to the temple to serve there. And yet, the vow was a burnt offering, is what was actually vowed in uh, verse 31. And a number of times it's mentioned, and she said, do exactly as you vowed, and he did exactly as was vowed. So I take it that he offered up his daughter, tragically, as a burnt offering, and that's why there is so much lamenting, and it, the lamenting is every year. So the tricky thing is, hold on here, how can, how can Hebrews 11 tie in with such an abominable, at just such a tragic, desperate child sacrifice? And I, even though people, Barak, Gideon, Jephthah, all mentions Samson in Hebrews 11, I think they're all flawed, and that's part of the point. They're all flawed, and we're ultimately meant to, Hebrews 12, look to Jesus. Uh, so that's where I went with it, and then application was in line with that and other things, but and I see him pointing to Christ in the other ways. But I'm interested to hear John's because I'm not 100% sure. Was she killed? Was she offered up? Or was it even something else? So, so I, I think 
Uh, one, this is a very difficult text. I mean, it's among the most difficult that I think in, any of us have ever preached. And so I also want you to, I mean, I've preached it twice. And the first time I, I took Jeff's interpretation. And I think, I think what if the, the, um, you know, kind of a literal reading of the text. And also this, this interpretation is favored by the earliest Jewish and Christian commentators. And so I think that's the strength of that view. When I preached it this time, and as I meditated on it, I, I shifted to a different view. I don't think that he, I don't think that he offered her up as a burnt sacrifice. I think uh, he offered her as a, basically a nun to serve at the, at the tabernacle. Um, and I, here's, here's the reasons why um, I, I, I think there's about seven or eight, nine reasons why I think that that interpretation is preferable to me. The first is, is and Jeff mentioned this, Jephthah's response to Ammon in verses 12 through 28 show that he is well-versed in the Pentateuch. And so vowing human sacrifice would be strange for him to do, given how strongly it's denounced in the Pentateuch. It's not like he's ignorant of, ignorant of the law. He's able to, he's able to parse the minutia of the, of the, of the Torah and child sacrifice is an abomination um, in the law. Uh, the second is he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, literally the verse before he makes the vow. And so verse 29 tells us the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mitzvah of Gilead. And from Mitzvah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So that right before he's empowered by the spirit. Third is the loss of the daughter's virginity is the emphasis when the vow is carried out, not her death. And in line with that, number four, 2 Kings 3.27 shows the Bible is willing to describe child sacrifice, which it doesn't do that here. And so it's not because like people want to say, well, it, 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 it kind of gives this honoring picture because of the horrific details of what's happening, but that, you know, the Bible does describe child sacrifice. So that's not, you know, that, that doesn't carry weight with me. Mm. Um, the fifth is that Jephthah is commended in both the old Testament and the new Testament. Yeah. Um, and so it's not just, it's not just Hebrews 11, which Jeff already mentioned. And, and, uh, that's a, that's a helpful, um, place to go as well. But first Samuel 12 and verse 11 says, and this is Samuel talking, and the Lord sent Jeru uh, Jeroboam, that's Gideon, and Barak, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And so he's, he's mentioned alongside of Samuel in the Old Testament as a hero of the faith, if you will. Um, six, vows for victory in battle are legitimate things that God responds positively to in the Old Testament. You can go look at Numbers 21, verses 1 through 3 to look at that. So I, I, I do agree with, with Jeff that vows can be uh, manipulative bargaining. They can also be a legitimate form of worship that's sanctioned by the Torah. Um, you see seven, that? We see that with the sailors in, in Jonah, for instance, and 
and even the Ninevites. Right. Um, that's a, yeah, that's a good example. Seven, there's provision in the Pentateuch to cancel out rash vows. So Leviticus five verses four and five, there's a, there is an offering that you can give to cancel those out. And, and certainly you would think that someone who could rehearse the minutia of Pentateuchal history would know that that's there, that that provision's there and rescue his only child from death. Eight, and this is the last one. Animals didn't stay in the house, really, in the ancient Near Eastern world. It's not like, you know, they had, like, domesticated dogs like we do. And so it's dumb to think that Jephthah thought an animal would come out to greet him. You know, like we, you know, as Americans, and I I assume it's the same in Ireland, but, you know, we have, we do have a dog, Knox, that, that greets us when we come to the door. Yes. You know, whether we've been gone for 15 hours or 15 minutes. Uh, but that does not, that was not the case in the ancient, in the ancient world. Yeah. And so it's, it's not like he's expecting, he, he's expecting somebody to come out to meet him. And, and typically, um, as Jeff mentioned with the tambourines and stuff, typically returning warriors are greeted by women on the way back. And there's, there's reasons for that. Like, uh, there now that there's safety, if, if, if foreign invaders come in, what does it mean for women? It means being treated in, in awful ways and means rape and abuse and those kinds of things. And now you've got the men returning home and, and, and you can get on with family building and those kinds of things. And so it, it's typical. You can see this with David. You can see this with Moses um, after the Red Sea that like it's usually women that come out to meet. There's now one commentator jokingly said, I don't know what he thought was going to, you know, who he thought was maybe his mother-in-law is who he was hoping would come mm-hmm. out. Um, from the, I don't know. I, that wasn't me. Um, and so, but uh, those are the reasons why I, I take, and it is, it is true. You do have women, you have Samuel who is being offered um, to service at the temple. You had women who served at the, the entrance, you know, to the tent of meeting. And so I, you do have this, this use of, metaphorical offering in the Old Testament. You have the Levites being offered in place of the firstborn, uh, for example. Um, and so you do have that happening. So yeah. you, you think then he was expecting a woman to come out and happy to make that vow? Yes. I think he was, I think he was potentially hoping it would be a maidservant uh-huh. that he would then send to the temple. I think that's, that's how I would explain thirty-five. His la- his lament. Yeah, yeah. I was yes. going to ask you, gonna, I agree. How do you: the tearing of the clothes. If this is what he was expecting, the lamenting. How do you square that with that? But do you think that it could have been a, he was hoping for a maid servant or a mother-in-law or, as you said, somebody yes. like that? I don't. And again, I don't think there's a. I don't think there's a way to say definitively this is mm. the correct interpretation. Th- these are these are the thoughts I came to as I wrestled through, and I think that is. The, the two biggest things you have to wrestle with, with my view, is the earliest commenta- you know, commentators favored sacrifice and then the lament. I think those are the two, the two biggies you've got to kind of The burnt consider. offering is, is also the uh, one that I, I struggle with so, regarding your view. C- can that be, can a, can a burnt offering be described as she's going to work at the tabernacle? 
Yeah, I think, well, I mean, offering up, I I, th- I do, again, like I said, I, I would, my argument would be that there are metaphorical offerings that you have in, in the scriptures where something is being, you know, it's, it, it's, it's being used in a, in a non-literal sense uh, to talk about an offering. Okay. listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.